As a thankful recipient of many, many skincare products over the years, I've learned to discern what is naturally actually activating my skin to rebalance and recalibrate on its own. That's what your skin is meant to be doing, and it keeps getting disrupted by all these choices that we make. So, when the founder and creator of Herbal Face Food reached out to me, I was all ears. I didn't know why at first. It turns out that Herbal Face Food is the most potent antioxidant skincare line on the market today, period. The raw plant ingredients in each of their products are never processed, never manipulated with synthetics or emulsifiers. These anti-aging botanicals are combined with the most precious plant concentrates, and they have changed my skin. Here's how. I'm going to talk about two of the products, the Herbal Face Food Serums and the Cream. The serums contain powerful phytoenzymes and antioxidants. These are activated and infused into your tissues. They hydrate and increase the resiliency of your skin, and they feel like they're plumping up your face. I use Serum 1 daily. I use Serum 2 when I'm tired and I need extra firming for my skin. And I use the X, which is also known as the Cure, for a small patch of rosacea that flares up every now and again, which you cannot see because of these products. When you feed your skin with herbal face food, you will feel real live ingredients at work. An activating flush, an invigorating tingle, some warmth, all of these are evidence of your skin healing at the cellular level and years of damage reversing. The cream is the most potent moisturizer I've ever tried, and I've tried them all. I live in the high desert. This cream contains 102 of the world's most powerful anti-aging botanicals and is also the world's first and only edible SPF <laughs> with a protection rating of SPF 50+. Plus. And this is accomplished 100% by plant power. And you can expect intense hydration, soothing for your tired skin. You can expect to see inflammation calmed and rebuilding of elasticity so your complexion looks and feels more smooth, and more radiant. Herbal face food is not plant-based. It's plant-powered. It has the highest rating on the ORAC anti-aging scale. ORAC means oxygen radical absorbance capacity. I never knew what that meant before. Highest, over 30 million on that scale. By contrast, vitamin C in skincare rates under 100,000. Herbal face food is using all post-consumer recycled materials and packaging. They use glass and aluminum, which is super easy to recycle as well. The products and packaging are 99% free of plastics. They contain no ingredients that involve the destruction or harm of any plant, animal, or marine life. These are 100% plants only, these products. These active concentrates are coming from the seeds, the fruits, the leaves, or the flowers of the plants only. These products have been a complete revolution for me. I know that you will love the way your skin looks and feels after using it even for just a day or two. And the best part is that Herbal Face Food has offered us, you, my community, a code to receive 20% off forever, ever. The code is capital E-L-E-N-A 20. Once again, that's my name in all caps, ELENA2020. The site is herbalfacefood.com. The code is all caps ELENA20. It's not just your first purchase, it's any purchase. You will love these products, and I am so grateful 
herbal face food for the change that you have made in my life. Thank you. Welcome to the Practice You podcast. My name is Elena Brower. Together, we'll explore and enjoy content and conversations around mastering transitions. In our relations, our wellness, our careers, our families, and especially in our missions and visions. You are invited to learn and love and listen with me. Welcome to Practice You. Welcome back to the podcast. I have with me today the one and only Julian Brass. He is the author of what I believe is doomed to be a bestseller. His new book is called Own Your Anxiety, and he is an international keynote speaker. He's a yoga teacher. He's an anxiety coach, and he's the former CEO of his media company called Notable. He's combined medical research from the Western world and philosophies from the Eastern world and created this, what I believe to be a really helpful, very accessible book. And he is passionately spreading his awareness and knowledge around about shifting anxiety into strength. So I'm really happy to have you on the podcast, Julian. Welcome. So nice to reconnect and be here. Thank you. Yes. We met each other at Wanderlust in Canada, correct? Yeah, Tremblant. Right, Tremblant. It was such a nice treat to meet you. You're such an earnest um, and, and kind, clear individual, and you really made an impression on me, which is why I, you know, which is why we've been in touch, basically. I'm really happy to be helping you in any possible way that I can. Your book basically includes 99, as you say, easily digestible tips for shifting your relationship with anxiety. Um, it's split into three sections, own your body, own your mind, and own your soul. And I feel like this is a real major part of anyone's healing journey. There's so much stigma attached to anxiety. And if one doesn't have the money to go to a therapist or even the inclination to go to, let's say, a group, it can be really lonely in this place of, you know, experiencing anxiety. So I really, really appreciate the fact that you have made it easy for people to make a small investment in a book and have at their fingertips all of these tools. I would love to start by asking you which of the tools that you have offered in this book, which of the tools surprised you the most at first when you first started to devise this book? Sure. I think the one that jumps out at me is one that is so common and so often not being done the right way, yet literally every single human does it. And that is learning how to breathe for anxiety. Hmm. Every single human breathes, obviously. We all need to breathe to survive. The fact that it took lots of research and lots of attending different seminars and workshops and retreats to finally learn that breathing into your belly is the quickest, simplest way to actually activate the parasympathetic nervous system, which then creates the relaxation response in the body. The fact that that isn't like, 
taught in junior kindergarten across the world blew my mind. So that one jumps out for sure. For sure. I love the idea of just focusing this on the teachers. I know that you're spreading it around to universities, but I think one thing to really think about is getting Own Your Anxiety into the hands of teachers. I love number 16, Sing Out Loud. Uh Singing stimulates the vagus nerve. Okay. We know this nerve is the longest in the body and it actually turns on when it's stimulated, it turns on the parasympathetic nervous system and activates the relaxation response. What a wonderful thing for a teacher to be reminded of in the throes of teaching a classroom full of loud screaming children to remind them just to sing, Mm -hmm. invite the kids to sing. Page 45. I loved don't walk alone at night if it scares you. What do you like about that? Because, you know, there are lots of things that I am scared of or I'm afraid of or my listener is scared of. And why would you continue to do them? Mm-hmm. If it triggers your anxiety, on the other hand, to have the discernment to see what you're allowing to scare you and cause anxiety, and maybe there's some obstacle to be surmounted to have that sort of discernment. I loved this one because I really, it got me thinking. That's the idea. Yeah. This one is sort of meant to be one of those uh, metaphors, if you will, that, you know, to one person, it might be walking alone at night that scares them to another person. It's, you know, running late, for example. And we all have our things, our anxiety triggers. And part of the idea of this book is that I really want to raise the collective consciousness of people to start to get in the driver's seat, so to speak, of where their anxiety is coming from, not to think that it's all just sort of happening by accident, mm. you know, and it's just a reflex action to, to, you know, things that we can't control, but we really can control these things. So if it's walking late at night alone that freaks someone out and gives them anxiety, or if it's, you know, that route that you take to work, or if it's, those toxic conversations, like what, you know, whatever it might be, there's so many different things. My goal is that people just sort of start to ask themselves with discernment, like you said, where is my anxiety coming from? And from a place of that awareness, we can then start to make the positive changes needed to reduce the occurrence of anxiety in the first place. And then the rest of the tools in this book are all about things you can actually act upon if the anxiety is showing up. And On the very next page, uh, page 46, number 15, which is play, the hardest way to get out of is your own. (laughs) I love this because it really is a reminder that we all need, even though so much of my life is oriented toward, you know, creating space and free time and open time for my family. I always need a reminder that play is so important. And you're, I, I like how candid you are about the fact that you had to recalibrate from acting quote unquote, like an adult. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) There's, there's such a nice, um, honesty, you know, in, in that there's such a focus on what life is supposed to look like. And I really appreciated that mention. It's funny that you bring this, this, um, this tool out of the 99 up today, because just last night I stayed, um, up at my family's place and my niece Romy, who, shows up in this part of the book in a nice little anecdote that I think we can all relate to, uh, was, was, was playing with me and we were having a great time. And, um, it's just another reminder 
of how important it really is to get out of our own way. You know, so many of the things in life we overcomplicate and we don't have to, or so many of the answers are right in front of us, but we choose or inadvertently forget to choose to just accept the very thing that will take us out of our pain, right? And playing is one of those things. So the power of playing either with people or with animals Mm -hmm. is huge for shifting anxiety. Yeah, yeah. I see it also in just interactions on the street when all of my, for some reason, all the men in my life that I love, my my son, my son's father, and my boyfriend, James, everybody loves a dog. And so it doesn't matter what's going on, if we're having a hard conversation or there's something uncomfortable in the space, good luck getting one block in New York without seeing a gorgeous dog of some kind and everything disappears. (laughs) I know. So cool. It is so true. It's so true. Uh, number 30 on page 81, plan your meals. I really appreciate this. I feel uh, some of my most successful friends in, in my business are people that really incorporate this as a matter of course into their life. So instead of having to get to that certain time of day and worry about what's going to be for dinner, mm-hmm. what's going to be for lunch, whatever, to actually just plan out your meals mm-hmm. at the beginning of the week and know that freaking Tuesday is going to be Taco Tuesday <laughs> and everybody knows that and everybody's psyched about it, uh-huh. whatever the case may be. I really appreciated that this was one of your ways to own and to mitigate anxiety, to see that it's spiking when this particular time of day comes around. Your tip in this one, I, I appreciate it too. Surface level anxiety is real. So this this definition of surface level anxiety is something, as you said, that just comes with something simple such as a meal. Uh-huh. It refers to those things that we do or don't do that often cause anxiety. They're easily avoidable, just as with not eating food that makes you anxious. Other examples include, as you say, not saying or doing something you'll regret, not staying up late or drinking too much alcohol if you have an early meeting, not wearing something that makes you feel self-conscious. These are extremely simple choices, but they're not Mm self-evident. Not leaving your bathroom a mess when you're having house guests. These are small things. Not blowing your money on something you cannot afford. You get the idea. You got it. Yeah, thank you for that. That's really helpful. And you know, some of this, so you're in, you're in the own your body part of the book. So it's divided, as you said, own your body, own your mind, own your soul. Yep. The I can't wait to get to own your Yeah, yeah. And I think own your mind is, is, is really going to speak to you a lot as well. And then own your soul, like that's got Elena Brow written all over it. And the reason why I set up the book like this is because I truly believe the body is a gateway to the mind. And once our mind is in a beautiful, beautiful state and it's truly receiving the water, which is the essential nutrient to garden what is the mind, then I think we're ready to start kind of going to that spiritual place. And that's why the book is set up this way. So with the own your body, it's physical, it's physiological, it's much more like yes or no. It is or it is not. This is giving me anxiety or this is not giving me anxiety. And as we start to sort of uh, raise, again, our, I'll use the word consciousness, we raise our consciousness and we start to become a bit more aware, you know, hey, sleep is affecting my anxiety. Alcohol is, the food I'm eating, 
the, the drugs I'm putting in my body, you know, I know so many people, my former self included, who were partying a lot. And, you know, you think you could do what you want on a Friday or Saturday night. Meanwhile, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you're super anxious because you still have toxins in your body. By the time Thursday rolls around, you feel like yourself again, and then you're getting ready for the weekend. The point is not what somebody is doing, so to speak, but it is that they start to become aware that what they're putting in their mind, their body, or their soul could indeed dictate and change what happens in their mind, body, and soul. And those things can create the anxiety. They can create the depression. They can create a feeling of, I don't know what the heck I'm doing with my life. And I really believe that anxiety is our gift. It's our secret edge. It's, it's, it's our best friend who has your best interest in mind, our true best friend, sending us messages saying either you're putting things in me that I don't want you to be putting in, or you're not putting in the things that I need. And that's, again, physiological. It's very easy to follow and very easy to create an isolation type of diet or isolation type of life to figure out what is provoking it, right? And what is not. Yeah. And then the more metaphysical stuff, which is where it gets, you know, very, very interesting and exciting for, for spiritual seekers, especially, is when anxiety becomes a sign, again, from our best friend, which is truly ourselves, our insides, saying something about your life is totally out of alignment. And you're showing up differently than you deep down want to be showing up. And that's when the anxiety gets mm. super loud. And I think that's when we get a really unique opportunity as people with anxiety to actually elevate our lives in all ways. You know, it's interesting. I'm going to move on to remove toxicity in a moment, which is tip number 48 on page 131 if you're following along in your book. But what's interesting is I think anxiety is not a stigma anymore. It's actually something that we're all remotely somehow, even in some small way, uh, working with, I'm not going to say suffering from, even though I thought of it. Thank you. We're all working with things. You're welcome. I learned well. I'm a good student. <laughs> um, it, we're all working with it mainly because of all the inputs. And we'll get to the phone because you mentioned our relationships to our phones throughout the book, which I think is really critical right now. But remove toxicity Tip number 48, page 131, please. Mm -hmm. Relationships, food, substances, conversations, interactions, business relationships, all of these hold potential toxicity. And if you're listening to this and you're thinking, shit, I know exactly which one of mine has toxicity in it. It's time for you not just, not, you don't have to take action right now, but look at this thing, look at this relationship, look at this thing that you're constantly eating that you know isn't good for you. Look at this thing that you're constantly imbibing, drinking, smoking, whatever it is, you know it's not good for you. I lived with this for 10 years before I finally quit five years ago. Look at it and just see, this is causing me anxiety. I'm going to do it at least 10 more times until I see it very, very clearly. I'm going to enjoy the shit out of it until I am done with it. I dare you to watch. I dare you to watch and just see what exactly is the result. Sure, you might have 15 minutes of enjoyment or 20 or two days, but watch what happens afterwards. Uh -huh. And watch, in my case, it was weed. In other cases, alcohol. 
watch the after effects, as you just pointed out, days later. I'm still discharging toxicity from my liver. Is that why I'm screaming at my child unnecessarily? Mm. Yes, it is. Wow. That's what I noticed. And I was reminded of it when I read this. So that's why this page is like dog-eared underlined. Um, Toxicity is, it's, yes, it's already, you know, unfortunately everywhere in our external lives, i.e. in society in places that we really can't control. So I'd like to invite people to control the toxicity in the things that they do have domain over, right? We can decide what we put in our bodies. We can decide what type of music we listen to. We can decide what TV shows we watch or whether we watch any TV shows, right? We can decide what we read. We can decide who we hang out with. We have choices. So why put toxicity in our mind, body, and soul when we can actually control a lot of this stuff? And let me give you a very basic example. Back in the day when I first got anxiety, it was 2008, and I was living that like startup, young entrepreneur life work hard, play harder. I remember I had a little Wayne quote on my wall. That's right. Little Wayne. I'm now a big yogi and I hang out with, you know, spiritual gurus all over the world. But I had little Wayne there 2008 and said, the only thing on the mind of a shark is eat. The only thing on the mind of a shark is to eat. Yes. Hilarious. Hilarious. And I had sky high anxiety that led to bouts of depression where I wouldn't go outside for two, three days at a time back then. Okay, so when I could get my shark face on, I was like strong and let's do this. But then the anxiety got bigger than the fake shark in me. And, you know, I was like, there's no chance I'm going out. Are you kidding me? I'm, I'm going to stay right here today. And, you know, when I think back on my life then, and I'm just going to use the music example. I'm not going to talk about all the different things that I was doing that were actually toxic. But music, everybody can relate to this. And so many people are not mindful of the music they, they let into their lives. I was, you know, playing hardcore hip hop and electronic dance music that sounded like all the time. So even when my body was feeling anxious, I'm now just adding more of what I call anxiety layers, things that would create more anxiety on top of the already little problem of anxiety can make it so much bigger and so much more elevated. So if I would have put on some Jai Jagdish back then, or a nice Xavier Rudd melody, or maybe Krishna Das, or some Mozart, instead of, you know, Lil Wayne and Tupac, I definitely would have felt different. But I love Tupac, I just want to say. <laughs> I mean, I love Tupac too, don't get me wrong. But like, if I'm in an anxiety rut, he's not the artist for me, most likely, you know, hearing about... But Jai Jagdish definitely would be. You better believe it. If I take a few deep nose-to-belly breaths with Jai Jagdish playing... I always feel better in a matter of seconds. And there's some interesting data out there too that talks about the power of music and what it actually can do to us mentally and also on a nervous system level. So again, we're talking about removing toxicity in your life. And right now we're just talking about music. It's something that is so basic. Often it's a reflex action. My goal with, with putting these words on paper and sharing them with the world is that people can see it's not just the major things that are like, oh yeah, of course it gives me anxiety. That's so obvious. It's also the things that we quickly just kind of go right over and don't even think twice. And you do five of those things and you keep letting the anxiety layers add up 
the music is the wrong choice, you're running 20 minutes late to your meeting, you still stop to go get a coffee, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then you check your phone and you try to send an email while you're rushing. All these things at once, just as an example, these layers add up. And next thing you know, you call your best friend and you're like, I'm drowning here. I don't know what's wrong with me. And it could have been prevented. Yeah. It's all too familiar to anyone listening. Number 52, control your self-talk. With all due respect, I would say choose if you can change it for the next edition. Choose your self-talk. I like that. Uh, only because, and I, with all due respect, only because I, it's not really a matter of control anymore. Control has become kind of a dirty word. And I feel like it really is a choice that we make. Mm-hmm. I'm a big choice guy. I, I would uh, I would go with choice as well. I'll, I'll talk to the, the publishing team and see if we can make a modification for the next edition. <laughs> I like choose yourself talk. It's so cool because you can change anything you want. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I found out about that. It's brilliant. Um, becoming your biggest fan. The, the bold face at the end of, cho- of choosing your self-talk, number 52. Mm-hmm. Become your biggest fan, your biggest cheerleader, your own eternal support system. Bless you for writing those words down. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to put that into a little graphic in my Instagram soon, I decided. Amazing. I appreciate that. And I'm sure the world will when they see it. You've got an amazing Instagram. Um, Elena, let's just talk about this, why it's so important. Yeah. Becoming our own biggest fan, our own cheerleader, our own eternal support system will change our lives, right? So often we run around looking for validation from the external world and we want to be validated. We want to be accepted. We want to be recognized. But the second we can stop, let me use some, some newly uh, intertwined vernacular. The second we choose to stop looking outside and instead coming back within and reminding ourselves through the power of self-talk, I am enough. I got this. I am strong. I am confident. I have everything I need inside of me. You know, all these beautiful affirmations, when we can start to speak to ourselves like that, all of a sudden, we don't require that external validation. And when we don't ex- require the external validation, that's when all of a sudden, we actually don't only choose our self-talk, we also choose ourselves. And that's when love just flows right in. That's nicely said. We choose ourselves, not just the self-talk. To follow 53 is visualize, which I really also appreciated because I do it. all the time. And it sounds completely bonkers, but everything I've ever accomplished in my life was a matter of pre-visualization from my team to my child, to my books, everything. I've already seen it. I saw it before it happened. Mm -hmm. It's so beautiful. Yeah. So visualization is key for accomplishing the things that we really, really, really want to accomplish. And it's also an amazing way to get out of the anxiety rut. So 
oftentimes when, you know, I'm feeling anxious, I can tell you out of personal experience and I'm very, I'm very, very authentic with, with anxiety in me. I, I see there's not enough people who are boldly talking about it. And I'm, I'm truly here to be an anxiety advocate. I'm, I'm comfortable and I feel it's actually a mission to just share where I'm at so that people can realize they're not alone. And if this guy can build a business and then go and build a book and go, you know, on TV all over the world and on podcasts and whatever, whatever, all these great things that are being, that I'm being invited to, and he has anxiety and he's able to own it and become, you know, the Adele in his own world, Adele, the performer or, you know, LeBron, you know, on the court, but in my own world, so can you. So that's why I'm bold. So visualization helps me in tremendous ways because if I get stuck in the right here, right now, I feel anxiety in my chest, my mouth is dry, my stomach hurts, I've got the sweats all over, and none of those things logically you know, should be happening, then if I can check in and let my anxiety cue me to go into a state of mindfulness, I can then say to myself, where do I want to be right now? And if I take myself somewhere that is beautiful and peaceful and calming to me, I can quickly get out of that anxiety place, which technically is also perhaps made up, we could argue. Right. And I can then get into a place that feels like home to me. Mm-hmm. And then I can come back to the real physical world that I'm in, shifting the relationship with that once negative energy, which is also known as anxiety. And now it is my powerful sacred energy that I can go and use to direct into the things that I actually want to do. And you also invite people in this particular tip to practice thinking about not just um, what the thing is that you want to accomplish or what the healing is that you want to accomplish, but thinking about where you're standing Mm -hmm. when that is accomplished, what you're seeing, what you're feeling, what you're smelling, what you're hearing, what you're tasting, employing all of your senses to have a full experience of this future positive reality. Well, you are the guru of essential oils. So that evokes one of five senses. I too love essential oils and use them very frequently to help take me to places that I want to arrive at. And I mean that in many different ways, whether it's to get more energy or whether for digestion or for for calming myself. Like I just put on a bunch of lavender before we hopped on this, this podcast, for example, which I do also before I do any type of uh, TV interview because it really brings a nice centered calm to me. So we have all these senses available to us. You know, we have these five incredible senses that we were born with. Why not actually activate them when we want to go into certain places? When we want to actually, you know, take ourselves somewhere that we want to visualize. So in the example of the book, I invite people to join me in a place that I love to go to, which is the ocean, just like the cover of the book is a beautiful picture of the shoreline. So absolutely, let's use the five senses as we go into a state of visualization, because it will be way more realistic. And the quicker we go into that place, the quicker we can really own our anxiety. It makes a lot of sense. It's um, my coaches at the Handel Group taught me that a long time ago, and I've never forgotten it. So now, when I want something to happen, I just literally close my eyes and travel to that future <laughs> reality. Amazing. And it's uh, it's it's an easy way to make 
to 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 just get yourself comfortable with the possibility of that thing happening. Mm-hmm. If you're listening to this and you have something that you're you're really longing to experience, and yet it seems really distant from you, just close your eyes for the next four seconds and picture what your life would be like if that were true. Mm-hmm. Where would you be standing? What would you be doing? Whose hand would you be holding or not holding? What's what's the scent in the air? What's the feeling of the weather? You know, when you get to you get to have the experience before you've had the experience, you're literally setting up the entire universal consciousness to deliver that to you. Yes. It's amazing. 57 is create art, by the way. Yeah, it sure and is. And this is key for me. Why do you like this one so much? I have next to me right now the the second journal that I'm creating is called Being You, and um, it's for teens. And I was really nervous about this thing for a long time. The manuscript is in. We're almost in agreement on the last few edits with my editor. And anyway, I started painting. Why? Because I took all of the painting materials out, laid them on a big tarp on my rug, and they're all out. So it's like kind of a mess, <laughs> but I don't care because I'm painting. And every single time I create art, I forget whatever it was that was causing me any layer of anxiety. And I'm steeped in the art making, in the creative mind, creative heart, which always helps me be more creative in everything else that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that. Well, art therapy is a real thing. And seeing the effects of art on uh, specifically, I, I can tell you from personal experience, people with um, people suffering from cancer. Uh, I wrote a lot of this book um, while uh, helping my mom as her caregiver through her battle, uh, which luckily she she did come out on the on the uh, the right side of, and mm. um, she's she's doing great. I'm so grateful to say that she's an amazing woman. We spent a lot of time at the hospital, obviously, and um, I wrote a significant amount of this book during this time um, of being the caregiver for her, whether it was, you know, during long hospital visits, if, if we had some time to just sort of, you know, she'd pull out a book or, or her iPad and I would, you know, pull out mine and start typing away or at her place um, just as she was resting. I would write a lot of this book and I remember specifically as I hold tip 57, page 151, create art in my hands right now, um, I remember seeing so many of the cancer patients engaging with the art therapy stand at um, Sunnybrook Hospital in Toronto, Canada. And we would play with uh, the art table and create some art as well, my mom and I. Um, And it was just beautiful to see so many different women. I was in the breast cancer section. So many different women engaging with with the art and just creating and you know it's it's truly a form of positive escapism it's uh, it's really powerful stuff so i'm so glad that you're yeah. putting this book into the world and especially for teenagers you know that's why i was at university campus today we got to get people learning these things as young as possible you know it's never too late but the younger the better agreed ending negative relationships is number 69 and it makes me miss my mom, that, that whole conversation. So I'm moving on quickly. 
because I basically have a track record of crying at every podcast. And I thought, <laughs> let's just not today. Well, if you do, just so you know, I already cried once today. So, you know, it's less. It's all good. Ending negative relationships, though, is huge. Um, I, I even have a couple of friends who were friends for a very long time who just were not. Um, how do I say this? It wasn't positive anymore. Mm-hmm. I was always kind of anxious when I knew I was going to be near them. I was wondering how it would be or what it would end up like or what would come afterwards. And historically, it just wasn't, it just wasn't okay. It wasn't serving. I really feel either one of us. So those are relationships that I've ended and I feel so much better. I have such a clarity about the people with whom I am spending my time and to whom I am giving my attention. So I think that's a really important one. That's on page 184. Mm -hmm. And I think with ending negative relationships, it's when you end that, you, yes, create the opportunity in the space to welcome in a positive relationship, of course, and more of them. But what we do also is create the space to start a more positive relationship with ourselves. Yes. Yes. Right? So often, so often we have these negative relationships and we know that they're actually not what's right for us, not what's good and pure and honest and beneficial, yet our fear of spending time alone or not knowing who we can hang out with can cause us to still go into that negative relationship. You know, it could be for lunch, it could be a night out, it could be a romantic partner, it could be even a business partner. And instead, when we can end those negative relationships and A, hopefully enter in a positive one with another person, that's great. But what about entering in a more positive relationship with ourselves? I'm going to book a date with myself this Friday night. Instead of going out and partying with the party crew, I'm going to go and I'm going to, I'm going to watch an awesome documentary or I'm going to crack open this personal development book or this spiritual growth book. You know, and I'm going to make some awesome food or order in from that restaurant I've been waiting to try for so long. And this is going to be a hot effing date with myself. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm definitely exaggerating, but I'm not at the same time. Why can't we choose to start a more positive relationship with ourselves? And all that, right? Have you ever had something like that in your life? For sure. I, I've sat in so many restaurants by myself and had literally the best time ever. <laughs> yes. Yes, me you too. Know, bring my book and I, I just it's my favorite thing of all time. Yeah, I agree. And I think if anxiety is often our body, our being, our vessels response to just overload of so many things happening, when we can slow down and come back to ourselves and, you know, crack open that book and have that amazing time at a restaurant by ourselves and not have to talk and not have to think about what to say next. Not to think about, am I chewing with my mouth open or is there food on my face? These types of things can really help us again. Yes. Love ourselves, but it can also really help us own our anxiety. And, you know, that's where this, this, this book is meant to go. It's meant to take people, not just from the acute, okay, I have anxiety, what do I do? But it's meant to take them to another place in their evolution. 
I feel that. And I feel like this is one of those brilliant little unexpected gems. You just wouldn't, you wouldn't know until it's why I wanted to have you on the podcast. You wouldn't know that it was so full of so many rich hints for us. I uh, just, just, just real quick. It's funny you bring that up, Elena, because I've had a few people close to me say, you know, I don't really have anxiety, but I picked up your book anyway, because I know you and I care about you and we're friends or we're family or whatever. Um, or I've taken one of your classes and this is about so much more than anxiety. My goal with it is to really appeal to two different groups of people yeah. with one commonality, the commonality of simply wanting to live a better life. Yeah. As we all do. And as I said before, you know, it, we're all suffering in some way and needing to re reframe it and say, we're not suffering really. We need to work with this energy. It's a momentum nonetheless. You got it. And it is, it's, it's waking us up. One of the first things that I say in the workshops that I'm so, so grateful and, and honored to be able to lead, I, I lead on your anxiety workshops all over the world. And one of the first things that I always invite my uh, attendees who I like to just call students because they are a student and I'm also a student in that, in that work. We're all students. I invite everyone to welcome in this idea that after this workshop, after learning the Own Your Anxiety Method, they will never use the word anxiety and suffer in the same sentence. That's so funny. I thrive with anxiety, you know? I, I thrive with it. I live well with it. I walk hand in hand with it. No, 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 not suffer. Mm. Mm. I, I appreciate that. That's exactly where my mind went with it. I'm in the soul section now. I'm in number 82. No, you're not saving the world, 214. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hello. Welcome to my life. I am not saving the world. I'm using my anxiety moments as cues to wake up, smell the roses, treat myself and others more carefully, more caringly, more lovingly. Yes. Yes. So thank you for that. Oh. Um, number it. 90, volunteer. Yeah. Changed my life since I'm a senior in high school, since I'm a junior in high school. I mean, I'm sure my mother had me doing this when I was a little girl. She was so um, committed to certain women's causes where we lived. But volunteering or donating resources, donating time, energy, whatever it is, is the perfect way to shift from the state that often accompanies what we know as anxiety and spin it into the strength the sacredness that you're talking about to use it as a cue. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. We, we, I think, I think first and foremost, we feel a sense of inner gratitude when we volunteer. Yeah. Right. And that's okay. You know, we become proud of ourselves. We, we, we realize that, wow, no matter how tough various things in my life might be right now or how busy it might be, I am doing something for the greater good. And I think that really, develops and creates and enhances how we feel about ourselves, which is very important, right? It creates confidence. It also allows us to see that no matter how big we think our problems are, they're not as big as many people out there whom we actually have the opportunity to help. And that can help a lot as well. Plus, on a very basic level, volunteering and getting out of our own minds and our own heads 
reminds us that there's a whole massive world out there that is much bigger than me and my shit. You know, I've been um, in the desert many times. I've been very, very fortunate to, to hang out in the desert on multiple occasions. And when I go into the desert, Alina, in a way, it evokes the same feeling that happens when I volunteer with someone less fortunate. And that is, I realize that my little problems are so insignificant in the grand scheme of this beautiful universe. It's the same idea with volunteering. It's really beautiful. I appreciate how candid you are. You know, there, it can veer, these conversations can veer so quickly into preachy, I know better, you know, we've done this, you haven't. And there's none of that in your voice at all. Thanks. I just, you know, I speak from my heart and I, not a day goes by where I, where I think any of this is, uh, is, is what I deserve. You know, yeah. I just, I wake up every day and I just try to do my best. I have three questions that I ask every guest. And the first one is what in your world at this moment, and it can be your personal world or it can be the world around you. What needs healing right now? In my own personal world or in the world around me? Correct. Wow. That's a, that's a nice question. I should have been prepared since you like to ask this question. Sorry. I don't prepare any of my guests. The only ones who know are the ones who've listened to other episodes and they catch that it's the same three questions, but otherwise, you know, no preparation. That's what's fun about it. Yeah, for sure. Um, what needs healing? I think I'll, I'll, here's, here's some true raw candidness. This book went into print. It, it was only released on September the 17th. Okay. But I started to receive a few physical copies from my publisher for um, a few different sort of pre-sales opportunities at different wellness and music festivals over the summer. One was in Utah, one was in uh, Whistler, BC, and one was in uh, Muskoka, Ontario. Um, and I had the chance to, to set up a little stand and literally stand on my own two feet and interact with people, humans who I did not know, who wanted to learn about the book and if they felt inclined, purchase it. So I made about 200 of these, you know, I use the word transaction or how about exchanges? It feels way more natural. 200 exchanges with people. And I was, it was exhausting work. It reminded me of, of working retail in my teenage years, but not only was I physically exhausted, which, you know, the retail gig when I was 15 or 16 gave me, I was also mentally a little bit drained because I tried to give my all to every single person who wanted to have a true, authentic, vulnerable conversation with me. And I acted sort of as their anxiety and life coach in those moments. And it could have been a one minute interaction or it could have been 15 or 20 minutes. A few times, I even started to learn that people sometimes really, really, really are seeking some deep healing with not a lot of time and certainly not a lot of notice. So I created a little like area with two seats behind the, the booth that I would set up so that we could go back there and I could quickly implement some meditation and breathing techniques for these perfect strangers who I was just trying to help. And the, the feedback was phenomenal. It was worth every ache I had in my, in my hamstrings and my back. Let me put it that way. People got you. back to me over the summer saying, you know, this book has actually changed my life. And hmm. what that did to me, it moved me and it put me into tears and it made me feel like, like, like wow, I'm doing the right thing here for sure. But all of a sudden as this feedback's coming in, my PR team starts to book me 
to do live TV all over the US and Canada. I did seven cities in 12 days. And I mean, I was exhausted. Someone who's got some anxiety going live to talk about anxiety in cities I've never even been to half the time. Like that is some high anxiety SHIT straight up. And I use my own tips to calm down. And coming back to your question about healing, one thing that I have had to re-implement in my life since this book started to gain so much traction is the very tips in the book. When I was writing this book, it was after I sold my business and all I was doing, I had two things on my mind. Literally, there were two priorities, take care of mom and write my book. That's all I did. For about two years, I was in this little bubble. And as hard as it was because of you know the emotions of when someone you love to death is sick, it was also, in a sense, peaceful. There was nothing else that I was saying yes to. You know, I was declining trips with friends. I was declining a lot of, you know, going out on dates. I was just focused on my mom, who I love, and it was, it brought us closer together. And I was focused on writing whenever I had some time. All of a sudden, this thing I've been keeping inside the closet for two years, people actually want. And people want to know more about. And I find myself forgetting some of the things that I write in this book. And I've started to have to remind myself that I need to quite literally drink my own Kool-Aid. Yeah. And put this stuff back into my life. So the healing that I have been really working towards is to remind myself that nobody is free from self-work right? The work is never done. And it's the person who thinks that they have graduated the personal and spiritual development game and no longer needs it is the one who's going to crash and burn. So I have found myself having to really heal myself to remind me of where I am and where I am not. And, you know, there were a few exhausting days. There were a few days where I was like, oh my God, I need this to slow down. And then I was able to literally, and it sounds so humorous, but it's not a joke. I would pick up my own book and it was as if I didn't even write it. And as if I just channeled these words and I would read a few sections, I would put on some essential oil, put on some beautiful, sweet music, and I would come back home to where I'm supposed to be. Right. That's a sign of a good book (laughs) when you forget and have to read it to remember, you know, whether it's your own or someone else's. A musician once who I had the pleasure of interviewing for my old media company, I I shared with him how I interpreted one of his songs. And he looked at me with a big smile on his face and he goes, that's so beautiful. I'm like, well, well, you know, it's just my interpretation. I'm glad you think it's beautiful. But he goes, yeah, it's because I did not think of any of that when I composed this song. Yes. And that's art, Julian. That's art, he said. Right. right? Good for you. I put it into the universe and it's as if I didn't even do it. Right. You know, Elena, I've always considered myself a creative, but these days I really feel as though I'm an artist because when I look at this book, it's it's not um, half the time it doesn't even feel like I created it. It just feels like I was in a zone and it came out. And of course, I wrote it to be a journey. I wanted people to go from the body to the mind to the soul. But half the people who buy the book tell me I love it because I just pick up a different part every time. I don't even know what page I'm going to open it up to. 
It takes me two minutes to read a tip and I feel great and I feel charged and I'm ready to rock and roll. And you know what? This is the gift that you get to give to a million people again and again and again. Good on you. (laughs) Yeah. And same to you. Thanks, dude. Um, The second question, what is your favorite view? Knowing you, that is intentionally very broad. Okay, let me me digest. Intentionally very broad. Everybody answers it differently. For some people, it's a place. For some people, it's a person. For one, it was from the inside. You know what? My favorite view, and I like how you just said it could be a place or a person or something from the inside. My favorite view is that we are one. That we are one. Dude, that's that's the first time I've heard that player. Very good. Very good. Hats off it just to you. Comes Hats from and coats off. The, Shoes off. That's great. Yeah. We are it's, one. It's just, that's, that's it. That's the only view that I, that I know. And it's the view that, that really makes me feel like life is worth living and that there is always more and more of this important work to be done, right? Because you were my sister and he is my brother. And regardless of all the things out there that oftentimes we're supposed to feel like we are not one, if we can get through all that toxicity and come back to the very fact that we are indeed one, I mean, that's the view that I think creates world peace. It creates inner peace. It's, it's all we got. Yeah. The third question, what does prayer mean to you? Oh, I love this. This is such a good question. To me, prayer is connecting with a source that is far greater than me and at the same time is within me. Boom. Beautiful. I close my eyes to answer that because the power of prayer is so crucial to my life. And, um, you know, often, unless you're brought up in a very religious upbringing, I think it's very common to think that you need to be religious to pray. And when I learned that the power of prayer is completely accessible to everybody, regardless of what religion they were born into, how much money's in their bank, how they look, where they live. It truly began to be the, 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 the thing that I come back to the most is the power of prayer. It became the thing that just no one can take from me. And no matter how alone I may feel or how anxious I may feel or how challenged I may feel by something or how happy I may feel and positive and vibrant. It's one and the same. There's always something that I can connect with this higher power and this higher source uh, externally and within to speak about whatever it is that I'm facing. And yeah, the power of prayer is big. And I'm so glad you, you asked that question. Yeah. You know, I think for a lot of people too, it has a stigma attached to it. And I think we can officially let that go. If you're listening to this and you feel like prayer is something that was done 
when you were forced to go to X religious ceremony or X religious institution, I think we can let it go and just say that it's a conversation, an interaction that we have with the highest part of ourselves or, you know, however you like to see it. But I, I, I don't think it needs to have that negativity attached to it anymore. Yes. And if I can just, just add one more thing to everybody who's listening, if you've never prayed in your own way, meaning without, you know, rules and I should say meaning free from rules and free from restrictions and free from this is how you pray. This is how you don't pray. If you've never given yourself that opportunity and truly treated yourself, I would love to invite you right now to hit pause. I know it's not even my podcast. Can I say that? Am I allowed to say that? You can do whatever you like. (laughs) Make sure you keep playing after you're finished praying. But please, you're going to be inspired right now. And inspiration has a very short shelf life. Hit pause, close your eyes, and under your breath, just whisper what it is that you are seeking. And whisper what it is that you are grateful for. Whisper what it is that you are afraid of and whisper anything that you may want to ask for and just watch what happens. It's incredible. And then hit play once you feel even more filled up and come back to Elena's awesome podcast. Or not. I'll I'll be perfectly (laughs) happy if you're busy praying and not listening to the podcast. Perfectly fine. Of course you would. Of course you would. Yeah, so would I. So would I. (sighs) I'm so grateful. Thank you so much for being such a fun chat. And, uh, and putting such useful work out there really means a lot to so many of us. And I know that once the kids can get their hands on this and, you know, I don't think you should stop yourself from possibly considering making this into a kid's version Mm -hmm. for the littles, just saying. I'm, I, I I think it might be a, a collaboration waiting to happen. Perfect. Um, but I'm really, I'm proud of you. I feel like a proud mama, big sister, auntie, whatever. And uh, keep going. Don't stop. Don't stop. I won't stop. And um, I'd like to just take this moment, if I may, to truly, truly, from the depths of my soul and the most mindful part of my mind, thank you for your support. And for your guidance, your mentorship, your friendship, you have done so much for me in creating this book. You told me in Tremblant over two years ago that when I was ready, you would be ready to really lend a helping hand. And we kept in touch for about two years, but it wasn't until I sent you the transcript and you saw it and you said, dude, okay, this is legit. It's legit. I'm ready to help. Totally. Totally. And you did. You you really helped make shit happen. Ugh. And you being in my corner was this this power that that I you know didn't I, I don't know from that power to have somebody as as known, loved and respected as you to just be so willing to help me out and take calls and take texts from overseas in between your prestigious teaching gigs and conferences. And, you know, you did it out of the goodness of your heart. And I got to tell you, you really, you really inspired me to selflessly give even more than I've known myself to give. And I just want you to know that I will always carry that torch, that light from that same torch that you allowed me 
to, to, to have light up my life, I will continue to sharing that, that light with other people as well. Boom. Thank you. Seriously. Thank you. And you're welcome. And thank you. <laughs> thank you. Keep going. Thank you. So much love, Mr. Julian Brass. Oh, here's to your continued success and all the people that you will serve with this book on your anxiety. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, AG1, for sponsoring the Practice You podcast. My listener, you've been hearing me talk about AG1 for some time. I think I've been taking it daily for almost three years. 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens in one scoop in the morning. The best way to start your day supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and longevity, the conversation of the moment. The taste is delicious. It's suitable whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free. It contains less than one gram of sugar. No nonsense in here at all. It's a multivitamin that your body will actually absorb. If you are wanting to make an investment in your health and longevity, AG1 costs you less than $3 a day, far less expensive, and definitely less time-consuming than many different supplements. Reclaim your health, arm your immune system with convenient, delicious daily nutrition. And since you listen to the Practice You podcast, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of immune-boosting vitamin D and 5 free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is go to athleticgreens.com forward slash Elena. Once again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash E-L-E-N-A. Take ownership of your health, my listener. And thank you, Athletic Greens and AG1.